We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello, and welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. This is episode 233 of The Pod alongside Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso. Plenty to get to here on the 15th day of December. 10 days of Christmas. How about that? Yeah, uh, there was no there. gift under the tree for Bears fans in prime time. We will give you, reluctantly, a little bit of Bears recap against the Packers. We're going to whip it around the NFL. Uh, some Bulls information regarding COVID. We're going to dig into that mailbag. We're going to give you some more winners because Matt Rooney and myself currently both humming, sitting at 9-5 and five on the season. If you've tailed our picks... You were a winner, and that's not something we've been able to say year after year, but that is the case here in the 2021 season. But before we get into any and all of it, Matt Rooney, how you doing? You know, Joe, I, I know we're betting well, and we're, we're looking good right now, and I just want to say I'm having so much fun. I'm just having so much is fun betting, and like I want to is just keep it? having fun, and we're having so much fun betting. That's okay? the curse. You're we're having curse, fun. Yeah. <laughs> that was um, intentional. I'm not having fun. Not, Matt, not having he, fun till the job's done. Matt Nagy was having fun through 30 minutes and wanted to tell um, the greater American public, or at least those dialed into primetime football on Sunday night, um, making a mockery of himself and our franchise once again, even uh, through what was the 30 most successful minutes of football of the season. He comes mm-hmm. out and proves that he's just not a professional in in as many words. Um I don't know if you want to start there. I don't know if you want to start with Justin Fields' performance. What really jumps off the page at you here out of the, uh, again, double-digit loss to the Packers in primetime? Um, you know, I, I, we can start with Justin Fields. I don't I, – I don't, he didn't have his best game. I think he started out well, and obviously some of those stats were padded by the, uh, the little chest pass to, to Jakeem Grant that went for six. But I, I thought all things considered – I was fairly impressed with him. You could tell the rib was bothering him because he couldn't really follow through on a lot of his throws, and he said that as you kind of said as much afterwards. Also, ended up having to get an X-ray on his non-throwing hand. I didn't notice what happened there. Um, but I, I thought, all things considered, in a primetime game going up against Aaron Rodgers on on a grand stage, he didn't play his best game by any means, and he'd tell you that. But I, I think with what he was going through, with the situation on the offensive line, having a rookie left tackle who we can get into as well. Um, I was, but it was by no means a great performance. But I wasn't. I, I was impressed with the, I guess the the, the guts he showed a, a yeah. lot of, and some of the throws that he made, like the the one to the throw on a slant to Demir Bird. I know Bird ended up taking it for six on a long run, but that was a perfectly well timed throw. Put it right on the money, right where. Yeah, it had we're to not going to do. Th- we're not going to do this, and and a lot of people want to do this and move the goalposts on him and other young quarterbacks and say. Oh, well, if you take away the 75 yards from the three-yard pass, mm-hmm. you get, that, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. It counts. Football, that's a yard. Football is, football is executing the play in front of you. If you can break one like that, well, whether your name is Mac Jones, Justin Fields, or Tom Brady, it, it all counts the same on the stat mm-hmm. sheet. 224 yards, two touchdowns, um, did give it away. The pick six was, I mean, I'd go as far as to say inexcusable. Like, that's a throw that... You just need to get out of your game, Um, whether you padded it, hitched on it, whatever he did. um, It was late. It was bad. And it was the other way for six. Um, And that's, you know, that's the learning experience. But to your point, 
he did not balk. He did not flinch in what was um, a really important road experience for him within the fr- within the framework of this franchise. How we talked mm-hmm. about it kind of coming into the game where, well, would you want a, a, a non-100% Justin Fields to play this, that, and the other? Well, I think there was some invaluable experience within this rivalry and, um, you know, high stakes football, regardless of who you're playing for Justin Fields. That was an important 60 minutes of football. Um, they get some they get some help from the special teams. Uh, they get some help from the defense at, at a couple junctures. But in the end, the, the tidal wave that is Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers just kind of overtaking things in the third quarter. I, I don't understand. Well, I do understand why i don't understand how the bears can score 24 points in the second quarter and get blanked in the third Mm -hmm. and score a consolation field goal in the fourth quarter um that's coaching that's preparation that's the inability to adjust you saw i I think i don't know i don't have it in front of me here let me see Devontae adams finished with 10 receptions i'd venture to guess that eight again one of them in the first half. half yeah one maybe one in the second half Whatever the Bears were doing to take him away, um, the, the Packers went into the locker room and said, all right, here's how we're going to scheme up Devontae, and it's going to be short throws. It's going to be – we're going to get him one-on-one. I don't care if it's with their top corner. He's going to be one-on-one on the goal line. He's going to make Jalen Johnson miss. They they adjusted, they pivoted, and they got their guy into the game plan in a big way in the second <clears throat> half. 120, 121 yards, two touchdowns. Well, that's what a, a lot of do. what a lot of what they did in the second half. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I, you brought this up and something I wanted to get to too. Like they let him kind of go one on one with Jalen Johnson and let Jalen Johnson cover him on the outside. Jalen Johnson, uh, I keep saying his name, covered him really well in the first half. They realized that wasn't working, and what they started doing was, if you notice, he was going in motion to the slot. He was moving inside. Like yeah. they know that, and Jalen Johnson admittedly is not, you know, not. They don't trust him to play in the slot yet. They don't really. They kind of leave him in his. His uh, his side of the field, his spot, and that, that's so where he's coming. So put the guy covering. where Jalen doesn't want to go. Makes you know? Exactly what it's they coaching. did. They, and and if you also in Matt Nagy's press conference, they asked him about that. He said they did nothing different when they said like said as much that they did do things different. They said that, that Jalen Johnson did a great job taking away Devontae Adams in the first half. So they adjusted. They started moving him. They put him in motion. They got him in the slot. All this kind of stuff, knowing that Johnson wouldn't follow him and. Lo and behold, it worked. It's it's weird having a coach that you know knows how to adjust on the fly and and, and counter you know counteract another team's moves. Uh, we'll, we'll get it back on field here in a moment, but um, you do allude to coaching. You do allude to the post game press conference. What did you make of Matt Nagy's statements? I know we read into a lot of things. Does this strike you as a guy who understands that the writing is on the wall, or is this yes. just kind of in line? I see. I'd hope so, but I've come to I, I've I've gotten to a point where nothing he says surprises me, and some of the um, cliches and uh, idiotisms, if you will, uh, just strike me as a guy who still doesn't get it. Like the the halftime comment of "I'm having so much fun," the post game comments about um, you know not even seeing the changes that are happening in front of his face. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's a man resigned to his fate or someone who's really just overwhelmed by what it is to be a, a head football coach in the NFL and that he hasn't been indicated in any way, shape, or form that he's done after this year. This is just him with his broken brain. I don't know how you cannot know that you're 
a dead man walking at this point. Because I don't. Because I don't know. I don't know that. We don't know that. Nothing has told us that. There has not been any sort of um, twice confirmed internal reporting that suggests that Matt Nagy is going to be fired. All the talking heads say that his seat is the hottest right behind Urban Myers, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that he's going to get fired. There's going to be seven cal- there's going to be seven NFL football NFL head coach openings. And if you look at last year when I believe the same number of coaches changed seats, when I believe there were seven openings, well look at some of the guys that were hired and how they're doing in year 1. Robert Sala with the Jets hasn't been able to turn it around. Now that is like turning around a freight train headed yeah. downhill. We'll see how it works. He has been at times overwhelmed. Nick Sirianni with the Eagles. He's getting something out of that team, but there's been some questions around his viability of, as a head coach. Joe Judge was two years ago, but Joe Judge looks like he's completely overwhelmed. Who were some of the other hires last year? Urban Meyer. Shad Khan's going to have to pay that buyout and say, sorry, I was wrong to the general people of Jacksonville unless he wants to waste another year of Trevor Lawrence's rookie contract with this guy who's Which telling can't do it, yeah. coaches that they don't belong and he's getting lap dances in Columbus because he didn't want to get on the plane with the team. Look at some of these coaches that get hired. Look at the success rate of those coaches. Then look at the success rate of those coaches in year one. There is a huge decision out in front of this franchise, and by all estimations, they're going to screw it up again. And, and, and I'm laying this all out because the Chicago Bears and the direction of this franchise will once again hinge on a decision by Virginia McCaskey, the son, Ted Phillips, and what they want to do here over the next few weeks. It needs to be done now. You need to be the first team with the opening. I don't care if you're already having conversations with people that you think are candidates. I don't care if you're back-channeling to make mm-hmm. sure that you're number one in line to get your pick of the lot, whoever's going to be of this, this group of coaches that we're going to convince ourselves are the next Sean McVeighs or are, that we're going to convince ourselves that it's their turn to get their shot because they've been journeyman um, special teams coaches. We're going to talk ourselves into whoever it is. Now, whether or not it works, we'll see. But I want to be team number one at the front of the unemployment line saying we need a coach so we can look at the entire landscape and possibly make the right decision, not end up with a consolation guy who we have to even further talk ourselves into. I don't, other than other than the fact that Matt Nagy's a good guy, I don't understand why the hell he's still the head coach, and it makes me think that it might not be over. I I know I get where you're coming from. I just I think there's something in and I, I don't agree with it at all whatsoever. I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm saying it's why they're doing it. They have the the McCaskies have some sort of, and it's part of the reason they don't often get the best candidates because. They have some sort of thought in their head that they can't make a change midseason, that it looks bad, that it creates a look of instability, all that kind of stuff. Oh, look Instead at, of, and I, again, I am saying I completely disagree with that. I think if you know you have a problem and you eliminate the problem. Behind the Jaguars, behind the Giants, mm-hmm. behind the Houston Texans, name another more in behind the Jets. Jets, Giants, Jaguars, Texans. Mm-hmm. Outside of those four teams, who's more unstable than the Chicago Bears? And I'd say that the Giants have the Giants are a mirror image of the Bears. The the fan the fan yeah, base about right. hates the hates Except the general they manager. They're sick and tired of ownership. They're sick of the wrong coach being hired. They're mm-hmm. sick of an underperforming defense. They're sick of an offense that can't score points. We're the same team. So I'd say the it goes Jets. Excuse the me. Lions. I'd say it goes. I'd say it goes Jaguars. Giants or Jaguars, Jets, 
Texans, and then Bears Giants. I'd say the Lions have more stability than the Chicago Bears because you know what they did? Last year, they went and got a head coach that the franchise, the fan base, and the players seem to believe in. Maybe they have one win this year. Maybe that's because of Jared Goff. Maybe it's for a myriad of reasons. I'd say the Lions are a more stable franchise right now than the Chicago Bears. I say they have, and again, this is probably splitting hairs. I think they have a potential to become more stable. I just, in year one of a new head coach with the Detroit Lions, there's been signs before that it looks good and all that kind of stuff, and then it comes crashing down. I, I can't go there yet. I would say they're trending in the right direction better than the Bears are, but I can't go as far as to say right now they're the more stable group, whatever. But they, that's not by any means a compliment at the Bears. That's more just saying that's an incomplete one at this point. But for me. but I, I'm just I'm well, saying, again, it's irrelevant. Yes. Point, refute their your point you're you're, you're correct on the Giants and I think that's process by ownership that somehow doing it during the season is going to give the league this outward admission that we're no good anymore well guess what everybody knows that it's you're, you're way you're way behind the news cycle if you think you're you're um kowtowing or somehow um admitting your failures we mm-hmm. see your failures every Sunday, and the main failure is Matt Nagy. It needs to end now. I, I, mean, I couldn't agree more. You're hitting it on the head. It should be done. It should have been done weeks ago. I don't think he should have been coached. I'm trying to think of when exactly. I mean, he should have been fired after last year, for being completely honest. But like, he, he shouldn't have been coaching Sunday night against Green Bay. He probably should have been fired after San Francisco. Like that, that, there may be after Baltimore. Like you look at those two games. Like he probably should not have been coaching those next two games. And I, I, I truly think they were about to fire him before you know the, the whole Baltimore uh, thing, the pre-Thanksgiving thing. Like I think that was a thing, and then I think they got spooked. Yeah. And I think now they're still spooked. I, I, one hundred percent. That doesn't leak from those types of people and the person that le- le- leaked it isn't even like you know, a sports here's guy. He's an, a Pulitzer Prize. Here's I another just, problem. I don't believe that you gets leaked get, if they weren't going to do it. You can't get spooked by a columnist. You're, I you're agree. A billionaire, you're a billionaire family. I agree. They're, but they're just not They're just not good at their jobs. They, they. This is not anything new. This is something that we've known for a long time. It's something that was highlighted last year when George made the, the media rounds after the, the Nickelodeon game loss and everybody was confused as to why they weren't making changes. They just aren't good at their jobs. They might not be all that intelligent because they let these not be. They let these Matt Nagy's and Ryan Pace's talk their way into in, into keeping their jobs and convincing them that things are going to change. They're, they're too trustworthy, and they're they they aren't fit to be running an, a football organization. They can they can own it. They need to find people that are capable of running it, and it's not Ted Williams. And, and that's and you know that's that's the. The most pressing issue right now is, as I said a little, a couple minutes ago, is that they're now tasked with doing what they've shown that they can't do for the last, I don't know, thirty years. Is that yeah. is that fair to for say? As, as long um, as they've been, I think I think George has been in for like fifteen, twenty. Jerry Angelo to like uh, to Ted Phillips rising in the ranks to. Phil Emery. I think I saw a stat. Like they're talking about, they're talking about the coaches records against the Packers and all that stuff. Somebody had a tweet of the Bears' record since George or since Ted Phillips has been running the Bears, and since uh, George has been running the Bears. Like George in George's tenure as CEO of the Bears or whatever it is, they're like three and nineteen. 
It's 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 literally that, and Ted Phillips has been around for uh, has been in power for longer than George has, so it's a few years longer. So it's it's almost it's not quite as bad, but it's still really bad. There's just a um, there's a really really defined there's a really clear picture painted by the decision making of this brain trust over the last thirty years that indicates that. Even if Matt Nagy's – even if he gets his walking papers, even if they tell um, – even if they tell the general manager to take a walk to and, and we, get a, we get a completely new front office look, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean it's going to – it doesn't mean the right people are going to be put in place. It, it's, uh, it, it's just a – it's a failed franchise. And I think, and I think that the, the simple fact that we continue to have these conversations around this time of year is um, – is further proof of that because yeah, last year you can look at the um, you can look at the end result of a trip to the playoffs, but there was a six game losing streak last year, and we were talking about we were having the same conversation about firing Matt Nagy last mm-hmm. year, um, and here we are 365 days later having what feels like the same exact conversation. So we're we're just perpetually on this um, this hamster wheel of of uh, of football failure, and and it's largely due to the fact that. Those at the top of the bear structure can't make a good decision. Yeah, it's it's been that way for as long as I can remember, and it's I, I we can get our hopes up all we want. That this time's going to be different, but I mean, it's nice to have a quarterback, a franchise quarterback, but a guy we think I, sh- I should say is a franchise quarterback. But like, I don't have faith in them to hire the right guy. It doesn't mean they can't no. luck it. It doesn't mean they can't luck into it because they can luck into it. But like, it's, it's Lean, gonna, it's leaning going to, on luck the Bears' way since 1986. Well, it really has. It's going to be one of the most because of the situation. Because it is is down as a franchise as it might be. It's still the Bears. It's still a charter franchise. You have a guy in place that could be a. Um, a franchise quarterback you're in cap hell for next year but afterwards you get out of it a little bit like it's going to be a decently up there like sought after job in terms of just situation in general i just don't trust the, the and like the, the rumor that this week was like leslie frazier is emerging as a candidate not I, leslie frazier is a fine coordinator and a fine position coach in the nfl but like of all the guys and who knows it might just be a report it might not be true but like of all the guys that are going to be out there, of all the coordinators who have mentored quarterbacks, and, and if you have a Byron Leftwich who's been coaching and learning from Tom Brady for the last however many all these guys are, are, are probably going to be interested in a job, and you want a previously failed defensive-minded defensive coordinator under a defensive head coach who – yeah, you know, I can't even get it. I can't even get into that. What, what I will entertain, though, and what you just said, Matt, is the notion that um, the Bears are this destination. And I, I, I understand what you're saying, and I know there's some validity and some truth to the fact that, like, yeah, the Bears' job is more, um, you, you know, more highly sought after than, I don't know, the Colts' job or fill, fill in the blank here. Mm-hmm. But I think that a lot of that is – I think a lot of that doesn't matter anymore. All of these coaches make in the same range of a couple million dollars and they all live outside of the city that they coach mm-hmm. in during the offseason. And who was the biggest name last year in the coaching carousel and where did he end up? Well, it was Urban Meyer, and he's in Jacksonville. Where how many times can you go to Ruth Chris for dinner? You know, like yeah. it, it's not like it's not like 
like um, the city sells or the history of the team sells the way it used to because there's going to be there's an opening in Las Vegas that sells. Tell me, mm-hmm. Las Vegas doesn't sell. No, no state income tax. Live Nevada in, does have income tax. I didn't know that. No, no state income tax. Live in uh, thirty minutes off the strip. Mm-hmm. Coaching a team that really is down in the dump. like. There's there's yeah. different situations in different cities that all have their positives and negatives. And I think that the Bears situation right now, the negatives far outweigh the positives. Your two positives are. Hey, historic franchise, and the fans will treat you like a demigod if you ever win. And two, or B, excuse me, that they have a, a young quarterback that you can mold in your image. Outside of that, I mean, steakhouses and a, a beautiful summertime don't really sell. Like, hey, Chicago cut's worth it. <laughs> but the, my point I know, is, like, I know, I know, I know. These coaches can go get a fucking hundred dollars steak whenever they want, wherever mm-hmm. they want. So I, I don't know that. I don't know that the whole like, hey, the ghost of George Hallis really looks down upon you and, and wants you to win here. I, I don't know that that does anything for these guys anymore. Pro- probably not. But I was honestly, I was more talking about in terms of I, it, the Bears being the Bears is is a perk or whatever. But the more the situation with having Justin Fields, with with having a guy who is seen as a potential star yeah. quarterback in the making, who just needs that mentor. And I mean, he's one year off his rookie deal on that rookie deal uh, it, it's because of that situation I, I know you have Derek Carr in Las Vegas and he is a proven guy but you're also going into a, a situation where the quarterback's making a ton of money and you're going to be a little bit cap strapped there not that you won't be here for a year but I just I, in terms of having Justin Fields having the quarterback there are going to be guys head coaches offensive minded guys that will say if I have this guy and I can coach this guy it doesn't matter what else is around me I'm going to be fine yeah I don't know it Whatever, stinks. We'll see. It stinks. It's it's the final quarter of the season, and it stinks to be the be a Bears fan again. This is just this is just what we do. This is just what we go Such through. Such is life. And um, all I want for Christmas like, is feels like it's going to be the new decision makers at the top. How about that? Yeah, give me that for Christmas. Figure it out. I don't, you know, people. I I have uh, I have zero faith that it makes any difference in in what is just this uh, this Groundhog's Day of shit football. Uh, we're going to do a little NFL whip around here because obviously, I mean, we could, we could go into bears Packers, but why, you know, what, what, what did you, what did we learn about the bears that we didn't already know? Um, the only thing I I liked watching Tevin Jenkins early on, that was about it. It was nice to see him get some time. That was perfect. 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 Put him at left tackle and don't throw a freaking chip his way once. Yeah. It's it's another example of not knowing how to coach. Broken ribs on his blind side. Great coaching. I actually – we talked about – I talked earlier about Justin Fields being thrown into a, a terrible situation looking all right. I know Tevin Jenkins had some holdings and a lot of strip sack and all that kind of stuff. I thought for not having a training camp, pretty much as being on IR the entire season up until two weeks ago, not knowing he was going to play tonight, having to go up against all pro defensive ends, I actually thought he did okay. He blocked fine in the run. He made some mistakes in the past, but like we know he's a natural right tackle moving to left tackle. There's going to be some of those hiccups, especially in situations like that. Like I thought overall, if you're throwing him into that situation, which is almost negligent for the coaching staff to do, he responded decently well. He didn't play great, but I, it could have gone. I, I was somewhat impressed with some of the things I saw. That's my um, Matt's. That's our positive spin on the Bears' uh, forty-five to thirty loss. Uh, 
gutless second half play calling by Matt Nagy leads to another loss. What is, uh, I believe, Aaron Rodgers now twenty-two and five against the Bears in his career. So uh, great having you. Twelve. Now get the hell out of my division. Let's do an NFL whip around beginning on Thursday with the Steelers and the Vikings, and what was an unexpected high-scoring affair between these two. Dalvin Cook, really the bell cow, 27 carries, 205 yards, two touchdowns, uh, about 12 days, 10 days removed from what looked like a broken collarbone and a mm-hmm. subluxed shoulder, uh, comes out and balls out and leads his team to a victory, keeps them somewhat alive in that NFC playoff picture at 6-7. and seven. Yeah, that was such a weird, weird football game because you're watching it. I, honestly, by like halftime, I kind of turned it off because it's 26 nothing or whatever it is. And then Big Chase Ben Claypool starts celebrating during a two minute drill. You got that's, that's tough luck. Tough luck. All of the hallmarks of, uh, of, of Pittsburgh Steelers uh, and Mike Tomlin football. It turned uh, out to be what, what any Thursday night game should be just wild and a whole lot of fun and didn't make any sense. Turning our attention to the Sunday action, the Browns take down the Ravens 24-22. Ravens storming back in the fourth quarter to the tune of 13 points, but uh, Brett Hundley can't get the job done. Hundley? No. Tyler Hundley. Yeah, Tyler Hundley. Brett Hundley was the UCLA kid, yeah. Was the tall UCLA kid that I believe was a Packer for some time. He was. He actually, he beat the Bears in that uh, John Fox challenging Benny Cunningham's fumble game. Yep. Perfect. Yep. Um, Tyler Hundley leads them back after the Lamar injury. Lamar reportedly should be good to go. Uh, he's going to be um, tested out throughout the week here, but big injury cost the Ravens a loss in the division and a similar situation of the Monday night matchup between the Rams and the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Ravens could have really taken a stranglehold on the AFC yeah. North there, but now instead of a three-game lead, it's a one-game lead, and you got a dinged-up quarterback to add to your litany of injuries. Um, it felt like bigger than just one loss for the Ravens on Sunday. Yeah, I, I'm starting to get to the point. I know he didn't play a ton. I'm, I'm starting to get to the point of, of questioning where Lamar Jackson is in terms of franchise quarterbacks. But that's uh, that's that's something we'll kind of get answered, I think, as we go down the stretch here. But I, I think there's going to be a more more of a decision there with his contract than uh, than they were hoping when he won the MVP. So our insiders are telling us that negotiations have been ongoing throughout the season, and the Lamar camp is. Um, pretty tied to a number that is similar to that of Patrick Mahomes and I would tell him to go away and the two sides aren't even close I would if if, if he wants Patrick Mahomes money I will happily ride with Tyler Huntley or whoever I draft next to replace him because Lamar sorry there the the narrative that Lamar can't throw is is wrong he obviously can throw and like he can he has some games where he's a he's a decent passer but he, he does not throw bad throws. Exactly. He does not throw well enough or consistent enough to make $500 million like Patrick Mahomes. So no. if he wants that, then have fun going to play for the New York Jets for, for the next 10 years of your career. Uh, Lamar Jackson this season has accounted for 18 touchdowns and 17 giveaways. There you uh, go. That's, that's both passing, rushing, fumble, and interception. So he, I do uh, think an organization like the Baltimore Ravens are smart enough to not balk at that, especially last time they had the situation. They paid Joe Flacco and it put them yep. in a little bit of, you know, put them behind the eight ball. That was Flacco's ring though. They gave him, they gave him the, they, they did. gave him that contract as an, as a second ring, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the Browns meanwhile will move forward without their quarterback. It appears this week as Baker Mayfield has tested positive for COVID Jags and Titans Titans blank the Jaguars 20 to nothing. Uh, 
I mean, Urban Meyer sort of casting a shadow over anything this team can do, good, mm-hmm. bad, or otherwise. But another four-interception game here for Trevor Lawrence. The numbers are ballooning the wrong way. Uh, he's not developing. He's not being, been insulated with the right coaching to develop. And this is a Andrew Luck, John Elway, can't-miss type prospect, mm-hmm. we're being told. And you put him in what is the least stable scenario possible with a head coach who still thinks he's running a college football program. Yeah, this is the perfect example of, of situation mattering. Like it, t- Trevor Lawrence is the most talented quarterback to come out of the draft. He's he's the most talented quarterback I've seen in college play in a very long time. He's in the wrong situation, and it's it's hurting his development. And if you are I, talk about a team not fire, we're just talking about the Bears not wanting to fire Matt Nagy in season. There is zero reason for Urban Meyer to be coaching Trevor Lawrence right now. They don't get along. There's a toxic environment. He's not developing his quarterback because, quite honestly, as, as good of a college coach as, as Urban is and a, a motivator and recruiter, I don't think he's that great of a football coach. And I think it's like he, he's not a great developer. He's not a great football coach. He's not a great mind. And I think that's showing here. Yeah, and challenging all of your uh, position coaches and their credentials is not how you want to really win the room back. So. From, from what I've heard, too, after the whole Marvin Jones thing, like – Apparently, Marvin Jones is like the pro's pro and a very well-liked player in the locker room. So yeah. if that's a guy who's on your bad side or you're on his bad yeah. side, that's probably a sign. And then uh, I forget what two corners it were, but depth corners, they were asked like, you know. Oh, Cisco or something like that. Yeah. Asked they, about they how asked he's like, oh, I think he got some more he snaps. Start, like yeah, getting more reps. He's like, oh, I believe he had more this week. He had zero freaking snaps. Um, Moving on, Raiders and Chiefs. Chiefs win 48-9. to nine. Uh, They tagged the Raiders for the second time in a month's time. Uh, I don't know what it is about this Chiefs team and the Raiders, but it's been their two 40-plus point performances uh, this season. That and the Eagles have been their three 40-plus point performances, but they've tagged the Raiders twice now. I don't know if we can say that they're all headed in the right direction in this in this Kansas City offense because the defense you know, is the, yeah the defense is but my point is they beat the Raiders 41-14 then followed it with two stinkers against mm-hmm. the Cowboys and the Broncos in which they snuck out wins and then they blow the doors off the Raiders again so when we feel like hey Chiefs are back the offense looks like what it is I think we're going to learn a lot more about them against the Chargers yeah. on the road traveling west in prime time these next four weeks will tell it. Not just this week. This is huge. The next four weeks, they go to then they play the Steelers. Who say what you want about their offense? Excuse me. Defensively, they're still really good. That's going to be a test. The Bengals yeah. have been shown they're a talented team all year, and the I I talented. Okay, they have to go to Cincinnati and play a decent football. Team yeah, there. that's, I, I, no, that's I agree still that. a tough road game. Every game and every road game in the NFL is tough and all that. And then it, at the Broncos, Broncos are terrible offensively, but defensively they're still a pretty good team, and they you know just play decent against the Chiefs. So I think the next four weeks we're going to learn a lot more of them. I'm starting to think they're trending in the right direction because of how good that defense has been, and I think that's a great starting point. But the offense still feels like it's nice to see them do it this week. There needs to be another week and a little bit more consistency at that level for you to fully say they're back. Future Chicago Bears head coach Sean Payton leads the Saints to a 30-9 to win over the New York Can't Jets. Wait. At the Meadowlands, uh, it was the Taysom Hill show. Looked like the um, the final boss of Taysom Hill in the way they kind of rolled him out there, and, and some of the things that they asked him to do and not to do. But um, this is 
far and beyond game I saw the least of this week, and I'm happy about it. Yeah, I, I honestly saw nothing uh, of this game other than some highlights on red zone. But apparently, the Saints improved to six and seven, so they're uh, they're probably back on that in the hunt graphic. So good for them. Uh, the Cowboys take down the football team twenty-seven to twenty in a big time divisional win that just about locks up that uh, division. Cowboys. Yeah delivering on a guarantee that they would take down uh, Washington. Dak looked good, 22-39, 2-11, a touchdown. Zeke still hasn't really gone full Zeke. I think that that's a two-back system now with him and mm-hmm. Tony Pollard. Um, and Washington, again, at 6-7. and seven. You're still alive in the NFC, but uh, they got some things to work out here down the stretch as well if they want to sneak in. But it's uh, Eagles, Cowboys, Eagles, Giants, so all divisional opponents – a um, lot riding on the remaining schedule here for the football team. And they're never an easy out for as, no, uh, that's... For as much as we want to make them a be- the, the butt of the joke. Taylor Heineke gives everything he has. Um, that defense has looked good despite losing their biggest piece off the edge and young. Um, still, still a pesky team there in Washington. Yeah, they're, they're a team that's tough to figure out because of how well coached they are and how hard they play. Um Dallas is another team similar to Kansas City. Like, I can't tell if and when they're back. Like, it looked like they might have been kind of back here going up with that big lead at halftime and taking a huge lead. Then they let Washington kind of right back in it. So that, that's another team similar to Kansas City, That except they don't have the benefit of the doubt of Kansas City. Like, it's still, still kind of trying to figure out exactly how good they are. Falcons still in the mix of that six-win pack in the NFC as well uh, after a 29-21 win over a lowly Panthers team uh, that – I mean, just can't find a quarterback. Um, Cam Newton gets benched, brought back in. Uh, you know, season starts with Darnold. He's hurt. It looks like they're going to be shopping at the end of the season because what he showed isn't mm-hmm. necessarily enough to say, hey, we're going to roll him out there this year unless it's a, you know, I think we're going to see some teams that are supposed to be in the market for a quarterback just sort of defer. I, I think that we see Houston defer in the draft. I don't think we see them stretch for a Matt Corral or for uh, Kenny Pickett, I think they say let's roll Davis Mills out there one more time. Let's mm-hmm. end up in the top five picks again, and then let's draft from next year's class because this is not this is not a class that's going to not really the home run quarterback class yeah. exactly. So, I but to that effect, I think that the Panthers might be another deferral team and say, hey, let's see what Sam's got one more time. Uh, yeah, I, nothing would really shock me with how I approach this offseason. I both of these two teams just kind of seem like they're in limbo. Like they're not bad enough to get you know, the really good draft pick they probably need. They're also not good enough to do anything like a serious note or consequence or win a division, especially when Tampa's in, when Tom and, and Tampa are in that division. It just, it, it's a tough spot to be in. I think if you're the Falcons, you want to try and figure out a way to move on from Matt Ryan. So you get to be bad enough. Uh, but the Panthers, like you're saying, have a have a very tough decision coming up. And unfortunately, it was kind of predictable to see Cam wasn't going to totally work out with the Panthers. But it's still unfortunate to see him kind of, you know, splitting time with P.J. Walker. It's gotten that bad. Seahawks take down the Texans, 33-13. to Another nondescript game. Uh, deep ball, Russ, back in the mix, finding Lockett on a pretty one. But that was about it. Uh, Lions and Broncos, we could just wax yeah. right over that as well. The Lions... They got their one win. This, you know, this was hangover. Like, you know, hangover. I, that was a win hangover. Yeah, but like looking back on it, it was like, why did this? Why did this number not jump off the board of me? I think the Broncos were like laying seven and a half. Like, no, it was seven, seven and a half. half? It, it, it got up to what seven. Game and was and a half I looking at three? 
that was a no-brainer. But this, even at seven and a half, Lions get their first win of the season. Mm-hmm. You know, Broncos are playing with heavy hearts, no doubt. I don't know if that figures into it positively or negatively, but, um, you know, some emotional scenes there surrounding Demarius Thomas. Yeah. And uh, nice to see them get the win 38-10 over I think the this next one might have been the one you were talking about that had the – it was a close one. Giants Chargers? Giants Charger. Charger. I want to say that's three. what it was. I think, that, I think this was three, and it's like, what? What? Like, the Giants are going to stay within three points of a Chargers team that, yeah – Admittedly, they've been up and down, but this was more up than down. 37-21, they take down the Giants. Uh, Herbert, Eckler, they both look great. Um, seemed to have worked out whatever they were struggling with, you know, in the middle month of the of the season there and kind of primed for whatever push they can give here at 8-5, uh, and five, but with a big one out in front of them against the Chiefs. I just love watching Justin Herbert play football, and I'm very excited yeah. for Thursday night to watch and, Justin Herbert know, and Patrick Mahomes. Kind of a tough one for Giants fans to watch there because – Justin Herbert kind of should have been a giant, but I digress. Neither here nor there. 49ers-Bengals. Niners go out to a big lead. Bengals storm all the way back to tie it up. Overtime, Jimmy G gets it done. Um, And that's that. Uh, George Kittle's really good. (laughs) Yeah. George George Kittle's finishing the season so strong. He's really good. This was – I didn't see a whole ton of this game because I was uh, out and about doing some things on Sunday, but it was – Seemed like a fun back and forth game. Joe Burrow kind of deserved better after that performance, it seems. But he, he's going to, I think, be saying that a lot to himself as a as a Bengals quarterback. It was fun unless you had the under, and I know you didn't. You had the over and a little. I teased the over, the so my under? teaser over. Okay. Yeah. Well, the only way that the natural over could have gone over, um, heading into overtime, is if what happened exactly the way it happened happened. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense, but you needed more than six points to hit the over. So you needed the team that got the ball to kick the field goal and then the team that got the ball second to score a touchdown to win the game to give you nine points to push you over the total. It was the only way that an overtake was cashing and it comes through. And if you had the under uh, T's and P's to those who did. Tough uh, Bills, for you guys. Bills and Bucks, 33-27, to 27, fun game. Uh, Buccaneers get it done at home. The Bills essentially losing to the Patriots for two weeks in a row here with Tom doing what he's done against Mm -hmm. the Bills for the better part of his entire career. Um, And it was, you know, once again, December Brady, 31 of 46, 363, two touchdowns, jump ball to Mike Evans. Um, Leonard Fournette looks like he's just drinking from the fountain of youth weekend. He and looks like LeGarrette Blunt when LeGarrette Blunt would all keep on retiring and coming back to now, play for the Patriots. Credit, credit to the Bills for this was a blowout at halftime. I believe it was 24 nothing or so. 20, yeah, it, was, it wasn't close. at half, I think. So Bills did fight back. They showed some life, which I think was important for that team's at least um, – they needed you know, there that. Are, there are no moral victories in the NFL, but from a mental standpoint, this team needed to this team needs to start feeling some confidence around themselves and to force overtime there is great. But you know, you get it to the overtime. Tom's sitting on six hundred and ninety-nine career touchdowns. Let me let me just let me just pick this defense apart, drop one off, let my guy do the rest, and uh, seven hundred touchdowns and W later, the Bucks are the Bucks. And you know, we asked this question throughout the week, who's the best team in the NFL? It might be the Bucks. I, I it's, to me, it's the Bucks or the Packers. Joe, really we've said it on this podcast for a long time, and I've said it all year. I just, I will go down with the ship with Tom Brady, and I, I, I believe they're going. They're the best team around. I believe they're going to win the Super Bowl. And if that doesn't happen, then I can live with. I can live with being wrong on Tom Brady. I just, I, I'm gonna believe they're gonna win it all until I see them not. 
Packers beat the Bears in prime time on Sunday night. On Monday night, like the game. Rams take down the Cardinals 30-23 to in what was a fun football game to watch, uh, a well-contested football game, not really a messy game by any means. Um, you see Stafford go for three touchdowns, one to each of his top three receiving targets. Um, they win without Higby. They win without Ramsey. They kind of look the Cardinals in the eyes on their home field and say, well, you might have the better record and you might be above us in the standings. We're the better football team. And I feel like that's what happened. Um, there was a little bit of a power shift there within the division and within the conference because with the win, Green Bay takes over the top seed. Cardinals drop all the way to the three. A, a lot of moving parts following this win. And it, it, it was, a uh, again, Cooper Cup having a triple crown type year. Mm-hmm. Um, Targeted him 15 times, caught it 13 times, a buck 23, a touchdown. I just really think that we've seen a high ceiling and a low floor out of this Rams team, which is scary. But I think if they can operate closer to that ceiling, this is one of the teams to beat across the league as well. Yeah, you talked about the Bills needing needing some confidence, needing a moral uh, a boost, you know, all that, no moral victories. <laughs> this is obviously a, a victory on the field, but you look at the Rams' schedule, you look at who they've beat, like, their last big win came in week three against the Buccaneers. And since then, like they kind of lost every big game they've had. They lost, they got kind of smoked in their first matchup with the, with the Cardinals. They lost to the Titans. They lost to the Packers. Like they kind of needed a a win against a good playoff opponent, all that kind of stuff. And and they did it fairly convincingly in this one. So I think for a, a team that needed to, was confident, but needed a little bit more confidence, needed to feel good after, after a, a, game against a big-time opponent, the Rams really needed this one. And uh, they played like it looked great. That is also, cash a little OBJ first, uh, first touchdown score on that one. Plus there you go. That's your Week 15 NFL whip around with an OBJ capper, or Week 14, excuse me, looking forward to Week 15. We're on to Cincinnati. Uh, Matt, what do we got moving forward here? Let's do some uh, locks of the week. Both of us Let's sitting at 9-5, and five, uh, both of us offering up NFL picks. I'll lead us off. Football team Eagles under 44 and a half. December football in the East. Uh, just just play it under. I, yeah. I, I don't see I don't don't see Washington scoring more than 20 points in this ball game. I don't see the Eagles scoring more than 24 points. So there you go. Play it under. I got I got I like it. I, I think <laughs> uh, football team unders at this point are a fairly safe bet. I'm not sure if it hit last week, but they, they've been pretty good. Uh, I'm going Bears Vikings over 44 on Monday night. Um, the Bears have like two NFL cornerbacks on their roster right now, and I believe one of them is Bad. Kendall Vildor, and he's terrible. Um, uh-huh. Justin Jefferson will probably start in a matchup with Jalen Johnson and then be adjusted into the slot, get away from him, and be much better. Uh, I, I don't think the Bears are going to be able to cover. I don't think the Bears are going to be able to stop the run because they're so banged up on the interior as well. And I, the Vikings defense also has not been uh, the stout group that we've come to know the last few years. So I think the Bears will probably get their uh, a, a few points at least, not get shut yeah. out, not be able to single digit, be around 17, 20 points. And I just I don't see the Bears being able to stop the Vikings passing attack without Khalil Mack, without Akeem Hicks to, to get in Kirk Cousins' face. Um, I believe the last six Vikings games, the lowest total they've hit is 47. 
So I feel comfortable with going over 44 in this one. Sides, I think we're a little bit too risky for both of us with the with the COVID outbreak going around the league, not knowing who's going to play. So I, I think totals are the, the way to go this yeah. week. Target totals, if you're going to put down any early week bets or uh, get those in at 11.59 Central Time uh, right before kick, that would be That's the correct. strategy um, for this week's uh, wagering wonder that is Matt Rooney. Uh, mm-hmm. Matt? We got a mailbag. I'm told we're, we, we do. We have a, we had a what got lost in the shuffle. I think with uh, with Army Navy this week and with with NFL was a big UFC weekend. There there was a great UFC event on uh, uh-huh. on Saturday night. I did not get to see it myself, but watched some of the highlights. Obviously followed along on Twitter. Uh, friend of the podcast, my brother Mike had a mailbag talking about Sean O'Malley and also mm-hmm. a little bit of Connor in there too. So after UFC 269, when do you think Connor's next fight is, and who is it against? Also, what is Sean O'Malley's possible star power? Um, You're the UFC I'll guy, answer, so I'm going to res- leave that to yeah, you. Yeah, I'll answer the O'Malley side first. Sean I know O'Malley, you're high on him. You like him. Sean a lot. O'Malley is the. Now, you have to look at this from not just the MMA standpoint, but from the business standpoint. And I mm-hmm. believe behind Conor McGregor, he might be the most followed athlete in mixed martial arts. Like, he has a huge following already, he has a successful podcast. And none of these things matter when the bell rings, but they all matter outside of that. And they all matter in driving pay per view numbers. And Sean O'Malley, for I'd say. The last four fights, the last three fights, he's not this, hey, you got to see Sean O'Malley. Like nobody's mm-hmm. telling their friends about O'Malley anymore. Everybody's aware of him. Now, where he's at in his career isn't in line with how aware of him we are. He is still young. He's still, I believe he has how many professional bouts? I think 17. I don't know what his record is off the top of my head. He's got the one. He's under 20, though, right? He's got the, yeah, he's got the one loss to Cheeto Vera. Outside of that, he's, I think, 15 and 0 now, 16 and 0 now, something mm-hmm. like that. So 16 and 1. He still claims to be undefeated because it was a medical stoppage. He broke his ankle again or broke his foot again or whatever the issue was there, but he was getting tuned up. Besides the point here, what they're doing with O'Malley is they're treating him the way that boxing treats their stars. And you might like this, you might not, but. They're trying to elongate that that star power. They're trying to keep that window open as long as possible by giving him incrementally better fighters every time out rather than throwing him to a top five guy in the division or throwing him to a top three guy in the division or giving him a title fight right away where his persona might already be worthy of that. But is his skill set there? And do we want to see him get maybe taken down a peg against mm-hmm. somebody who's better than him. Now, I don't know how many guys are better than him in the division right now because he's so big for 125 pounds. Like he's he's long, he's taller than most guys he's going to fight. He's got the reach. He's got unbelievable striking capability, but what happens when he runs into a plus wrestler? Like there's still things that need to be tested and figured out when it comes mm-hmm. to Sean O'Malley, but in terms of his star power, he's the future of the sport. I mean, you have you have Connor on his way out, and if you want to go down the line with your other champions, um, Israel Adesanya only fights so often. Kamaru Usman's not interested in being a poster boy; he's just interested in taking people apart. Um, you have uh, let's let let's go down the line here. In uh, um, I'm trying to remember. 
Uh, who was it? So Poirier just lost to. Um, I for, pull he up. fought on uh, uh, Saturday, right? Yeah, yeah. Poirier. I, to, so to kind of transition here into your counter question, I honestly think that's what's next is Poirier, Poirier. counter four, which which does nothing for me. Um, I, I don't know who else you give. You gotta. You can't give Connor a nobody. It's got to be a. Somebody. It's got to be, be a name. It's got to be a marquee matchup. It's got to be sellable because I don't know what Connor comes back from his nasty broken leg. So I, I don't Dustin know. Dustin Poirier but, submitted to Charles Oliveira. So that okay, yeah. So you got Oliveira as a champ. Who I don't know how much, I don't know how much real pop he has. Uh, mm-hmm. Piotr Jan as a bantamweight star. Uh, T.J. Dillashaw's in that in that department. I'm just trying to pick out guys who have bigger star power potential than uh, than Sean O'Malley does. And there aren't many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, pound for pound top rank, Kumaru Usman, Alexander Volkanovsky, Israel Adesanya, Francis Ngannou, Charles Oliveira, John Jones, Max Holloway, Dustin Poirier, Stipe Miocic, Brandon Moreno. That's your top 10. I'd say of that top 10, Stipe's a draw still, but he's on the way out. Mm-hmm. Poirier's a draw still. He's on the way out. Max Holloway is always great to watch. John Jones, who knows if he can stay out of his own way. Charles Oliveira is amazing at what he does, but very much like Kamaru Usman, I don't know if he's a poster boy. Francis Ngannou is always exciting because he's got the knockout power. Israel Adesanya is great, but his um, activity level right now is not that of a young, hungry man in Sean O'Malley. I think Sean O'Malley is the future of the sport, and and mm-hmm. I like the way they're bringing him up because fight in and fight out, it is thrilling the way he's finishing these fights. It's absolutely thrilling. He's not winning by decision. He's picking people apart, and when the opening comes, he's finishing them in emphatic fashion, and it, and it's a lot of fun to watch. Oh, that's I think you answered that incredibly thoroughly. So thank you very much, Joe. But for Connor, I mean. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna match make in the fight that I want to see, um, I, I I really I really don't I don't think anyone needs to see Connor get his get his face beaten in again for lack no. of a better term. So I almost want him to and, and the Cowboy Cerrone coming back from the last time when they gave him Cowboy Cerrone and it was like oh yeah. Cerrone McGregor they're coming back around 8 years removed from their first yeah, battle, yeah, or whatever yeah. it was and like they just kind of fed Cowboy to him and they they kind of put the Cowboy out to pasture uh, mm-hmm. do, do I want to see that again no so somewhere between the two and I think the between is is Poirier again but that just kind of I, I don't know that outside of outside of another massive payday um, for Dustin Poirier, what else does he have to prove against Conor? Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. Uh, you got anything else for the people, Matt, here? I, I know you got a hard out, but I would be remiss if I did not ask a quick mailbag question of my own and just talk about your mm. uh, your Army-Navy experience. Because oh. I think for, for most people that listen to this podcast or if Man. you're a sports fan, that's not a bucket list item. That's probably the bucket list item, at least in terms of football and in it probably top five in terms of all of sports if it's not on your bucket list it needs to be right you need a new bucket list yeah you need to (laughs) you need to get to that game um if you're a fan of the live football experience 
I don't know that there's a better one because, you know, let's let's be honest with each other here. Football is a better product on television if you're wanting to watch the game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Really, really keyed in on what's happening. This is a game that's easy to watch in person from a football standpoint. You're going to get a couple pass plays here and there. It's not. There's not really going to be a, a whole bunch of challenges because one, they both protect the shit out of the football. Two, all they do is run the football. It, there's there's not a lot of things that you're going to need slow down the game. For. Yeah, you know, you're not going to need to slow down this game. It's slow enough. But everything that happens in the three hours leading up to that football game is so special. And I've never really had this feeling at a live sporting event of. Um, unity amongst the fan bases yeah it's mm-hmm. beat navy it's beat army but there is such an unspoken respect even on that day between everybody yeah. in that stadium um i also had the thought it dawned on me like i don't know that there's a gathering anywhere in the world of more badasses in one place than that game like you're I was down on the field level watching the game, and we were lucky enough to have field passes. And myself, Danny Cannell, Dusty Dvorak watched um, the first, some of the second, then went and did our halftime hit, then watched the third and some of the fourth from field level. And you're standing amongst four-star generals. You are standing amongst veterans who not only played in that football game, but fought on a battlefield for the freedom so we could play that football game. And it was that cycle right there that really hit me hard that not only are these the future leaders of our society they are the guys that are going to protect our freedoms so that we can watch this game next year and it's a beautiful thing to kind of see that all firsthand and see that play out in real time and not only that but have an awesome freaking football game that comes down to a fourth down and a senior linebacker making a play. Like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't get any better than that. Um, From a personal and professional standpoint, I mean, getting to to do on-site stuff uh, at a big-time event with a massive stage and build-out that we did for this, it felt huge. Um, so from a professional standpoint, it was, uh, it was everything I could have asked for as well, but you know, get to army Navy experience it firsthand because when, when the Blackhawk helicopters fly over and when the jets fly over and when those teams come out, like I dare you to not have a pit in the back of your throat and some tears in your eyes. Cause it's, uh, it's a really cool thing to see firsthand. Long story short, get to the game. Yeah. Get to the game. Um, Matt, thank you as always for uh, setting them up and knocking them down here on the Moose and Noons podcast. We appreciate you listeners for coming and venting about Bears football with us. I'm sure there'll be more here in the near future. I, I'm just, uh, you know, unfortunately it's a phrase that's, uh, it's a term that gets used quite often here, but apathy has set in. That was our Super Bowl against the Packers. Uh, couldn't pull out a W. Let's get this thing to the finish line. Let's fire a coach. Let's move on. But for now, for Matt Rooney, I am Joe Musso. As always, hit us up on Twitter at Moose and Runes. Send us your mailbag questions. You are the fuel that fuels the fire. Matt, say goodbye to the people. Bye, people. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. Chicken on the steak was phenomenal.